All right, we are back at the School County Historical Society. Today we are with Jim Holishka, uh, and today we're going to be focusing on John O'Hara. I've been searching for uh, a good person to talk to about John O'Hara. It's a little uh, more difficult than you guys think, and uh, I came in here a couple weeks ago for the Haunted Tours, and I talked to Jim, and he said, actually, I know a lot about John or yeah, John O'Hara. So here we are. Um, again, reminder of our sponsors, Cackle, and uh, Darren J. March. Jim, welcome. Um, Thanks. John O'Hara. Everyone, I, I've never read any of his books, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. Um, but I, when I was doing my research, someone said he wasn't a, a very good writer, but he was the most addictive writer in terms of, like, you could just plow through his books uh, just because they were very captivating. I, I think that's a fair assessment to say his books are captivating. But I wouldn't say he's not a good writer, mm -hmm. all right? Uh, because at one point, at various points in his career, both John Steinbeck and er Ernest Hemingway commented that they wish that they could write dialogue between characters as well as John O'Hara could. That um, they could not come close to p portraying a realism between the characters that O'Hara did. So to get that kind of praise from two of the giants of early 20th century American writers is, is high praise indeed. So I wouldn't dismiss him as, as not being a good, a good writer, but I think it's because he's maybe a little misunderstood, mm -hmm. maybe a little uh, not studied as much as his contemporaries like Steinbeck, Hemingway, and F. Scott Fitzgerald. Um, so if you do take the time to read him, I think you'll see that he's better than, than people give him credit for. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and we'll get into it later, but from everything I read, it was kind of like if he didn't have the personality that he did, he'd be in the same breath as Hemingway and Fitzgerald. Yeah. As one of the great writers in, you know, in American. Yeah, American. I mean, absolutely. John O'Hara was a difficult personality, to, to say the least. You know, prickly, abrasive, confrontational. Even with uh, academics, you know, he later became an academic himself, but he still uh, did not get along with that crowd who, you know, is responsible for how you are remembered in the, in the uh, literary world and historical community as well, you know. And even after he sobered up, because he, in 53, he went in the hospital with several bleeding ulcers, which, which almost killed him. Mm -hmm. Even after he sobered up, he was still what was known as a dry drunk. Now, what was his, I know this probably doesn't matter, but what was his drink of choice? Did he, did he drink beer, whiskey? I mean, oh, was he, he, he drank the hard stuff. Okay. Know? I mean, he was, he was Irish, so, you know, whiskey was obviously uh, a preferred beverage of his. Of his uh, yeah. So, okay, growing up, he, he grew up, uh, you said 606 uh, Mahantongo Street? Yeah, I mean, that was, that was his home for many years that they bought from the Yingling, from the Yingling family. Um, it was, uh, you know, his father Patrick was a very prominent physician in the community. Uh, he was Pottsville Hospital's first resident surgeon. Hmm. He also uh, was instrumental in the founding of the Millican Hospital, which would later become the Good Samaritan Hospital. So very prominent figure in the community uh, and, and respected. But even though he, his father ran with that circle, he was part of that circle, the upper echelon of, of the community, 
John O'Hara never really felt that he belonged because remember this is the early 20th century so unless you're white Anglo-Saxon and Protestant you never really truly belonged to that upper crust and he was Irish Catholic his family was Irish Catholic and he would see the homes that were you know further west of 606 Mahatanga and he just got the impression that he that was in his world. So he was someone who really straddled both sides. Now, was that something that he kind of imagined in his head, or was that, was that reality? No, that was reality. Uh-huh. That absolutely was reality because of that Irish Catholic uh, background. Uh, this is an era where uh, the Irish were the last off the boat, mm-hmm. and unfortunately in American society, those who are last off the boat are often the ones who are most discriminated against, them. and of course, the African-American race as well, being on that level as well at the time. And, and uh, so he was very conscious of, of that fact. And he went to Pottsville High School? Um, he te- he attended Catholic schools. Okay. Yeah. Um, his so that, fa- so is that Nativity or Pottsville? Um, I'm not exactly sure on that one. Okay. Yeah, that one I don't know. I know his early years he did attend Catholic school because it was in the, uh, the fourth grade when one of the sisters approached his father and said uh, that John had a very astute inquisitive mind but his mind would not be geared towards the sciences that like his father was instead he was more interested in literary pursuits Mm -hmm. so already very early on you see the makings of uh, the great literary person that he would be so he he goes uh, uh, to Catholic school where does he go to college he doesn't actually okay okay his father dies in 1925 probably as a result of the fact that his father contracted the Spanish flu in 1918 from treating the the, the inflicted right. during that span, and, and it almost kills him. And from all accounts that we have of Patrick, he never recovered the vitality that he had hmm. prior to being affected. So uh, when, when Patrick dies in 1925, he actually leaves the family bankrupt. All right, because he was one of those doctors who, uh, if you didn't have the money to pay him, he would say, "Okay, well, you know, we'll collect it later." But he would never collect it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Patrick uh, very precariously balanced the budget during his life. And then all of a sudden, when he passes, and minus the income that he did bring in, the family is is utterly destitute. And so John has to go to work. And he does. He, you know, he did have a, a writing career prior. His father did get him a job with the Pottsville Journal down the street. Uh, not once, but twice, because he was fired, actually, both times. Uh, he was fired the first time because he, you know, the the typical workaday career wasn't in the, mm. wasn't in the cards for John O'Hara. That wasn't him. Uh, so he got fired once, and his father went back down and convinced the editor to give him another chance. And so uh, John got another chance, and he was faced with a dilemma one one night that he could cover the uh, the local game that that evening or go on a date with a lovely young lady. Guess what he picked, you know? Yeah. And so he got fired a second time. But when when his father Patrick died he knew that he was now the breadwinner as the eldest. Uh, 
of the uh, eldest son of the family. So he moved to New York City and got jobs with various uh, literary organizations up there, Time Magazine and a few others. And he got fired from all those, all of them as well because, again, he just would not be pigeonholed into that, that standard model of the boss gives you the assignment and you complete it whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be, it would be many, it would be a few years until he truly finds his niche in the New Yorker with the New Yorker. They gave him the freedom to write on what mattered to him, and that's where he really thrived. So uh, going back to when he, when he wrote for the Potsdam newspaper, he mm-hmm. actually covered the Potsdam Maroons, correct? Correct. From uh, 23 to 25, he was the beat reporter for the Potsdam Maroons. And interestingly enough, uh, those are also the editions of the Potsdam Journal that are missing. Hmm. All right. Uh, they, all the all the prints from twenty three to twenty five, the John O'Hara years are gone. Uh, there's several theories that abound as to why they're missing. Uh, one is that when John uh, shirked the editor for a second time and got fired again, the editor was so ticked off that he just disposed of all those papers. Right. And you know. That's how angry he was. But the prevailing uh, sentiment is because those years also covered the Maroons, that you had, excuse me, you had a uh, would-be souvenir hunter Mm. who took them uh, to to have that record of the Maroons. Interesting. So he goes to uh, New York. He's writing for New Yorker. What was his first book? Oh, well, Appointment in Samara. Mm-hmm. And that's considered his, like, best, right, yeah. by all accounts? That's considered his, his piece de resistance. Um, he did have you know, Butterfield 8 that came out afterwards, which is, is another widely held uh, a book that's widely held in high esteem. But primarily after that, um, I think a lot of people would argue that his short stories as a whole are better than the rest of his novels Mm -hmm. outside of those two pieces. And I guess that just spoke to O'Hara's style as as a writer as well. And that he was sort of a marathon writer. Okay. He would sit down and bang out something and bang out something in quick succession. So those shorter formats, I think tailored to his strengths of, hammering out something and getting it to the press. I mean, um, certainly The Doctor's Son, one of his short stories, that also came out in 1934, was, I think, his best short story as well. Probably because it it lends, it comes from his own life experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Doctor's Son is a, a story about a young son who's, uh, you know, and his father who's a doctor during the Spanish Influenza. And in that short story, you get a look at life on both sides of the tracks, all right, through the people that come to be treated by his father. And growing up in Pottsville and in the world that John O'Hara did, yeah, that, that very much played a role in the writing of that short story. So, yeah. Now, again, having not read any of his books, um, one of the critiques of him is that his endings kind of 
uh, fall off? Like, is it, is that, would you agree with that? That's, I think that's something of more of a pers- personal choice. Mm-hmm. You know, some, some people love those endings that are tied up in a nice tidy bow. Right. And where you get a sense of closure. Um, but O'Hara, I think, yeah, not. I think he sort of wanted things to be open-ended a little bit, maybe, mm-hmm. to allow the reader to put their own meaning on it as well, not be hammered over the head with the ending. Sure. But a little bit of an open ending. I could be wrong. I'm sure there's some O'Hara scholars out there who would take issue with that, but especially given how controlling O'Hara was with his work. But, again, I think he just, that was his style, just to leave things a little open for interpretation there. Now, we, you know, we discussed it a little bit before. So, obviously a great writer. I mean, mm. movies, I was reading here, Frank Sinatra, Liz Taylor, yeah. Gary Cooper. Exactly. I mean, they all starred in his movies that he wrote. Right. Um, so, by all accounts, great writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, definitely should get the credit he deserves, but... By most accounts, very thin-skinned, very oh, yeah. you know combative, abrasive, prickly. abrasive. Yeah. So that kind of carved out his history of you know they kind of yeah. pushed him in the back. I R- mean, right? Um, you know, he. You look at how Ernest Hemingway was the the the, the personality that he had. He was he was larger than life, and and uh, you know, I mean, he had his mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that would result in his tragic suicide but you know yeah o'hara wasn't o'hara he's a double-edged sword in a lot of ways that he knew how to ingratiate himself to people he thought mattered Mm -hmm. and got along famously with people he thought mattered such as Hemingway and and Steinbeck. So they were buddies. Oh yeah, oh, they they ran together. They drank a lot. Uh, there are <laughs> Steinbeck and uh, O'Hara would go out drinking, and they would actually get into fistfights. <laughs> but because they were blackout drunk, the next morning they didn't remember getting in fistfights, and then everything went back to normal. They would go get breakfast the next morning. Yeah, you know, that's right. That's the kind of relationship that he had because that was an era where, you know, for to belong to the writing community, you you had to have two requirements: one, at least a decent writer, which those guys were great, and you had to drink a lot. So I mean, he very easily fit into that community, but you know, other people that he didn't think were important. That's when you saw the other side of the coin with with O'Hara of the abrasive personality who would be blunt in his assessment of who you actually who he thought you were Mm -hmm. yeah I saw even on his uh, tombstone it says uh, someone said even from the from the grave he you know he's better than anyone else he told the truth about his time he was a professional he wrote honest honestly and well yeah and I, I think that speaks to the both sides of O'Hara that you know, he was somebody who had a, 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 an out, a outgoing, boisterous personality who was confident in his abilities, but that 
that mindset where he didn't quite fit in with the upper echelon, even you know, from his earliest days. I think that played a little bit into his his uh, epitaph on his tombstone too, mm-hmm. to make the case that. You know, you may look down on me because of my background or because of my personality, but, you know, God darn it, I am a good writer and I deserve to be in the lexicon of great American writers of the early 20th century. Now, it sounds like from his books, Gibbsville, uh, being the fictional Pottsville, Mm. that he wasn't really a fan of Pottsville. No. Yeah, and again, that goes back to not... You know, his perception that he was not a part of the world that he wanted to be, that upper crust uh, that they looked down on him because of his his Irish Catholic background. So, and, and, and at the time, certainly, Pottsville, once his works came out, Pottsville wasn't a fan of O'Hara, too, because, you know, in many instances, because of those comparisons between Pottsville and Gibbsville, you know, he's airing the dirty laundry of many socialites and mm-hmm. upper-class individuals in, in Pottsville at the time that, you know, the sore details that they didn't want to get out, especially on such a national stage. You know, so, so um, he made a lot of enemies because of his writing here at home as well, here back here in Pottsville. Now, did he ever come back? No. Not, 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 even to- not that we know of. So he left for New York, and you yeah, know, he, he was done. Uh, you know, he f- once he got into that literary world, and hobnobbed with Sinatra and and Hayworth, right. you know, he found his niche. And then, you know, the job at the New Yorker again, working on his terms, he had found his niche. And then eventually becoming a professor down at Princeton University. Now he did not get along with with his fellow academics down there, that, that tradition stayed true, even when mm. he became a part of it. Still, academia was very much, he set his own agenda and did things his way. So, yeah. Now, for someone who has never read an O'Hara book, which, which one would you start off with? Oh, definitely Appointment in Samara, if you want to go for a full novel. And again, uh, if you just want a, a quick read, a quick introduction to John O'Hara and his world, uh, definitely the doctor's son mm-hmm. uh, because it's a very good insight into the world that he lived in and might have shaped and did, in my opinion, shape his perception of the world around him. What about Gibbsville? Uh, Gibbsville is, yeah, I mean, it's there and mm. it's it's worth the read, absolutely. You know, But those are the two main ones if you want to get your introduction into John O'Hara's writings themselves without any critiquing those are the two to go with now if you don't like to read what movie would you see of his well that's the thing his movies typically the one that is closest to what he wrote is pal joey all right be the others butterfield aid appointment of samara Hollywood took their typical license that they do with, mm-hmm. with screenplays even though o'hara was involved in, in to, to varying degrees with all the productions you know those the first two appointment of samara and butterfield aid definitely hollywood took license with the writing with with the script uh, but pal joey is the closest so if you want to get authentic o'hara that's the one to go with and his dialogue was just very cutting or yeah. you... it, it was cutting it, again, it, as as Hemingway and Steinbeck both said of his dialogue, 
it's it portrays a realism that they only hoped to emulate in their work. So that's a great place to start. Yeah, and one thing too, I, I read that he was very smart in terms of releasing books. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he'd release one novel a year, which is a lot. Right. Uh, and then he'd release it on Thanksgiving Thursday. Right. Because he knew that, you know, reader there'd be more readers that day mm-hmm. reading the reviews. Yeah. And then also, I guess, uh, the book reviewer from the New Yorker or New York Times, I forget which one, yeah. didn't work Thursdays. Right. So he, From the New York Times. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. he knew he could kind of bypass that. But... Yeah, they say it was kind of prolific in terms of yeah. spitting out a novel every year. Yeah, again, speaking to that marathon style that he had where he would just, he'd get the inspiration, sit down, hammer it out, done. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't one to linger over the, over his work and, you know, double guess and critique every word in it. He, he wrote it, he knew what he was doing, and boom, boom, boom. Now, was he ever married, kids or anything like oh, that? Oh, he was married three times. Okay. Several children. Um... Uh, nephews, nieces, you know, so uh, there's still family around the area and scattered all across the land. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he was married three times. Um, where, pr- probably a few of those were sabotaged by his drinking until sure. 1953. Where did he live in New York? Do you know? That I couldn't tell you. No, okay. that, yeah. I don't, I don't really focus on the places so sure. much as uh, I like, I'm fascinated by mm-hmm. John O'Hara, the man. Because of you know the the success he had coming from our area, and because of his personality, there are more than a few people around the society who who will say that John O'Hara and I share some similar characteristic okay. traits <laughs> of a prickly personality, telling it like it is, whether they like to hear it or not. Sure. So that, that's one of the reasons why I have a, a, an affinity for the guy. Yeah. So, you know, and, and also just uh, a sense of, like, my, my family background is very humble. So, you know, to achieve, you know, to achieve what I've achieved in my life, you know, I can, sure. I can know the satisfaction that O'Hara must have felt overcoming his obstacles as well. So that's, you know, I identify with him on a personal level, too. Now, has anyone ever written, I know there's been biographies uh, yeah. on him. Uh, he sounds like an interesting character. Has anyone done a movie on him? or um, There there are uh, numerous biographies out there on him. Um, I don't know if one is any better than the other because they all... The, the biographies that I've read, um, they tackle different aspects, different angles of the man. Mm from strictly just as a literary writer and his processes to the straight biography of him. Mm -hmm. So um, I I really couldn't, you know, one's just as good as as another. Sure. Yeah. And you lead, do you lead walking tours of John O'Hara? Just uh, this past month, I did a John O'Hara walking tour for the first time ever as part of the Possible on Tap festivities. Oh, nice. Yeah. You know, and, 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 I, as I said, I don't focus on where 10 North Frederick was. Yeah. Or I don't go into like, yeah, Union Station is there. And that was, the, you know, the train station that he's referring to in his work. Uh, I don't do that kind of a walking tour because you can go down to the uh, Schuylkill County Visitors Bureau in Union Station. And uh-huh. they have a handy dandy brochure with all those points mapped out for you. That's something you could do on your own and really doesn't, you don't need anybody to 
give you any insight there sure if you're just going to see the locations and plus a bunch of them are parking lots or you can't go in yeah right anymore. right anyway so it's like to me what's the point but on my walking tour uh i do use obviously keep places uh along mahatungo street to talk about john o'hara's life and background uh, 123 Mahatango Street, the current site of uh, Pressed Coffee and Books, was his father's, uh, the location of his father's practice and huh. the building where he was born. Huh. Uh, you go up the street to, let me get the address here real quick, 307 Mahatango. There's an optometrist there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the site of his childhood chum, Beanie Boone. Uh, and when they were teenagers, they, he and some other uh, young guys got together and formed a, a, a fraternal organization called the Purity League. Hmm. Tongue-in-cheek intended with the title because they would get together, they'd play their musical instruments, drink, and look for women of low moral character. Hmm. All right, so that was obviously tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> and then I you know, go up to 606 Mahatango, were the, the the big house that his father bought from the Yinglings and spent uh, many, many years uh, feeling that insecurity of looking at the houses up the street mm-hmm. and not really feel, feeling like he's a part of that world. Interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jim. This is uh, definitely uh, informative. Mm-hmm. And Pleasure. if, if uh, you're around the next couple of weeks in October... Make sure to check out the National Historical Society on Facebook. Get their tours um, for the haunted walking tours. Yes. Uh, also, there's a wait list for the trolley, but if they get 25 people, they'll do a second trolley. Yep. Um, hopefully, I didn't speak out of school no, there. No, not a... <laughs> um, yeah. And that's not it. So thanks so much. Thanks for stopping by. Appreciate it.